Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Why, hello there. It's your old pal, Sarah Silverman, and I'm back with a brand new season of the Sarah Silverman Podcast. On my podcast, I am talking about uh, everything politics. Yeah, we get into it. Favorite sandwich shop in L.A.? I know a few spots, and I'm going to tell you about them. I'm also going to be talking to you. I will be reacting and responding to listener voicemails in real time. Let me tell you, things can get weird, and I love every second of it. Weird is my comfort zone. The newest season of the Sarah Silverman Podcast is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. I'm Kiki Monique, and this is I'm Sorry, a podcast about apologies. And this week I decided that um, after seeing the forensic level detail that occurred over the Couch Guy video on TikTok that if I ever go missing, (laughs) do not bother calling the cops. Don't bother with the FBI. Just upload a video of me to TikTok. They will take care of the rest. And if you have no idea who Couch Guy is, just Google it. You will immediately get an answer, I promise. Well, I I don't know who that is, but uh, I know who I am. I'm Mohamed al Sheikhi, And this week, I've had so much Mexican food. It's it's too much. <laughs> well, to follow in your food one, my name is Oja Lopez, and today I tried a yogurt Pepsi um, and a wasabi Kit Kat that my friend brought me from Japan, and they were disgusting and nasty as hell, but it was fun to try them. I, I don't know how to describe it, but like just you just saying the name of that just made me really angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just upset and right I'm now. I'm sorry for that, you know? Oh, thank you. That's very welcome. <laughs> Have you guys heard about Aussie media? So that is our topic for the day. I'm so excited to deep dive and discuss everything about this weird circumstance that occurred over the past week. So just to kind of go into it a little bit, to talk about Aussie media and kind of what it is a bit. So it was founded in 2013 by Carlos Watson and Samir Rao. And they kind of both met in what I like to call the Ivy League. I don't know if anybody's heard or talked about that extensively. (laughs) Um, But they both also worked at Goldman Sachs. But in my mind, this is kind of the first time I'm hearing about Aussie in general. But what about you guys? Had you guys had any notion of it beforehand? When I got to Los Angeles, I started seeing Carlos Watson billboards on like, you know, and like on the sides of buses. Uh, but the first time I actually listened to his show was funny enough because of Jillian Michaels, because she was on an episode oh. again talking about Lizzo. And that's what started me down my like crazy, like I have to call out Jillian Michaels path. But she was on there. She brought up the incident again. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of Carlos Watson. Yeah, I had a little bit of I think I had just known him from uh, like some anchor stuff on CNN. I know he was a correspondent for MSNBC and like legitimate journalist. So I kind of just remember seeing him out of the corner of my eye talking about some impending doom as usual. But I feel like the story is insane. Like the more that I read about it and the more that I understood what is actually happening as well as the (laughs) timeline, I was like, oh my God, this is everything. I mean, I feel like it's like, you know, what I love about this story is it absolutely has something 
for every single person. Like if you watch billions on Showtime and like love, you know, this idea of high power, you know, guys going after each other, like you got that. If you were one of those people that was so invested in the fire festival uh, scandal that you watch both the Hulu and the Netflix doc, then we got that too. You know, if you are someone who's like, really riveted by the Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes. Like, it's got a part of that, too. And if you like Crank Yankers, there's even a phony phone call by a Harvard-educated man pretending to be an executive. Like, it literally has something for every single person. Uh, Yeah, I'm so excited to get into it. So just to kind of start off, um, I know that there's kind of a long history with it, but it, Mm -hmm. it really comes into focus, I think, with the New York Times story. So it's written by Ben Smith, who, you know, used to work at BuzzFeed. He's like editor in chief of BuzzFeed News. So obviously he's got some experience in this arena. So they sort of like talk about this conference call. And this, Kiki, is what you're talking about with the kind of impersonation. So, you know, they're talking a bit about how Ozzy has been kind of raising eyebrows for a while with some claims. So I think in general, there's like a story building around the media company of maybe some impropriety, you know, but not anything super substantial until this New York Times story. But I mean, what was your impression? Let's maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, the first story I read was was about the call, you know, the, uh, yeah. I mean, just to, you know, like, give some context, Goldman Sachs was going to invest in Aussie, and I think like, they're going to pay like $40 million, which is, you know, a lot of money. And then, you know, just to make sure that like, everything is going well, they had like a call from like, uh, YouTube, a, re- a rep from YouTube, just to see like, what Aussie has been doing, like the numbers, the metrics, and all of that. And that is when things went weird. <laughs> yeah. I what weird is such a good word for that. Because here's here's how what, what's funny about it is is they were supposed to have a Zoom call. So they're gonna speak on camera. So the YouTube person, Goldman Sack. But then uh, the person from YouTube said, Hey, I can't log into Zoom. Let's do a conference call. So you can tell like from like context clues that he doesn't want them to see his face. So they do the call and then, you know, they were like listening. They're like, yeah, Ozzy's doing well. The numbers are great. Everything is amazing. And then they kind of like figured that the, uh, the the voice they were hearing on the conference call from like the YouTube person was like altered. Yeah, I mean, the guy, you know, it's supposed to be Alex Piper, who is like the big wig of like YouTube original Mm -hmm. programming, which is what, you know, Carlos had been telling, you know, everyone who was working for them, like that their show, not only was it going to be on A&E, it was supposed to be on A&E, but like they were going to go to YouTube original programming, but they had already been getting millions of views on YouTube and they just needed this like push by Alex Piper to say like yes they're 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 a great company they definitely deserve your money but yeah they get off the call and they're like the voice sounds digitally altered let's reach out to the assistant to Alex's assistant now mm-hmm. here's what's crazy is that they had been giving an email a gmail address of Alex Which, hold up like just like to put a to put a note on that already no Right. Yeah. yeah. Everybody yeah. involved is already like, why do why does Alex Piper head of, I don't know, YouTube like original programming? Yeah. Why is that? Like, why are you putting <laughs> Gmail behind Alex Piper? That doesn't make any sense. So they didn't. So they the, the Gmail had been given to them, but they were like, that also looks it now suddenly looks suspicious. Let's not reach out to this Gmail. Let's reach out to Alex's assistant. So they reach out to Alex's assistant who, you know, gets Alex on the phone or whatever. And he's like, I did not have a call today. Like, what are you talking about? And that immediately now signals like, oh, Google wants to initiate an investigation because now somebody has been posing as a YouTube executive. This is fraudulent. They need to do some investigation. But that investigation went pretty quickly. It was all within, within a few hours, within the same day, Basically, Carlos threw his co-founder, Samir Rao, under the bus and was like, yeah. it was him. He was posing as Alex Piper, but it's because he's got mental issues. Yeah. yeah. You ever had like mental issues? You did like fraud. 
<laughs> yeah. You try to go to your old buddies at Goldman Sachs and you're like, guys, it's me. It's your friend, Samir Rao, but I'm wearing a mustache and a hat and sunglasses. Yeah. And I need $40 million, guys. Exactly. I mean, that is considered just fraud. Well, luckily, I mean, the transaction didn't go through, obviously. So since no money exchanged hands, like in that respect, there wasn't any like securities fraud in that, you know, that realm. Yeah. But he was posing as an executive in an attempt to get $40 million from this company. I just I just was funny to me. Like, didn't he not think that they're going to check? Well, you know, the way Carlos really explained it, I mean, In order to, like, vet these sorts of companies, he says that we, you know, we go through months of all sorts of vetting. Like, they've talked Mm -hmm. to multiple people and that this was the final step. Now, if this was the final step, I mean, you know, I don't think they've talked to Alex beforehand. I mean, maybe Alex was the final step. But either way, the only, I mean, I personally believe the only reason they were even in that room is because, look, they were... You know, Carlos and Samir, former Goldman Sachs employees. So it's all like a boys club, right? So they were like, hey, like, we got this company. We really want some investment. All their bros were like, yeah, cool. Like, we'll get you this meeting. Like, we just need to talk to Alex. And he's like, bet. Got it. (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) It's like when you're calling, like when when I leave references for the first like 10 years of my adult life, you better bet it was my friend Antoine answering the phone on the other side going like, she is a perfect tenant. She has never paid her rent late. She yeah. is an amazing <laughs> human being. She takes care of my children. Like, Antoine, okay, he went overboard. But literally, it's like a, a, like a fake reference that yeah. they think that they're going to get away with because I've gotten away with it yeah. many times. And have you, have you seen any of their content, like Aussie media? Because I went and checked just to see like what's, what it was like. And yeah. yeah, the most common thing is like Carlos Watson, who's the, the executive, the founder of the company, is literally hosting every show. Yeah. <laughs> He's the host yeah. of everything. Well, and I think that was like, a, the you know, like sort of like the biggest beef, you know, when this whole thing was coming out was, you know, Ozzy really portrayed themselves as this black owned media mm-hmm. company. I mean, Carlos was is black. Um, Samir is Indian. But. Black-owned media company, which implies that there is Black content. But I will say, I had never heard of Aussie media. And, you know, even former employees, they were saying that the classic demographic for Aussie was a retired female white teacher who used Aussie to stay young and stay woke and loved learning about the world from it. <laughs> yep. That is that is so specific. That is literally the best description for it. Because, <laughs> oh because the God. shows are designed and the way they explain it is, you know, they're not supposed to like ruffle any feathers. You know, they're like something for everyone. Like if you're a Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter who you are. You can watch it and you're not going to be like offended. And, and like I watched so much of like the Carlos Watson show and most of it is just like, you guys are like not really saying anything. It's just like, it's sort of about like, you know, following your dreams and how do you do that? Like very like general, like words being used in every interview. Yeah. This doesn't seem like good content like young people would want to listen to, which is, you know, the demographic to go for. Yeah. Which ultimately I think feeds back into the article in the sense that it's like, there's weird stuff going on. Like I have never organically come across an Aussie article, something that's gone viral for them. Like personally, that's never happened Mm -hmm. to me. So, you know, I think that this article comes out, even though I think it comes out on September 27th, even though the call happens back in February. So this is like the timing is a little bit lagging, but when people I feel do see this article, I think it starts to click for everybody. You know, I, I think that there's like a ton of people, including employees and, including, you know, people that they've interviewed, where things just sort of start making sense. And uh, part of the article as well, you know, I think Watson's sort of issuing kind of a mea culpa in the sense that he's like saying, like, the reason that this happened is because Samir Rao is going through some mental health issues. And, 
again, in that same line that they sort of quote him on is that, you know, that they're standing by him, that they're proud that they're standing by him while he's struggling, and that they're all glad to see him sort of like, quote, thriving again. So at this point, when this article comes out on the 26th, they're kind of like Samir and Carlos Watson are kind of back on track in Mm -hmm. some ways. And they're sort of crossing their... (laughs) their fingers that things are going to be okay. And then also as Ben Smith describes, um, you know, they talk about the board and like what the board is saying about all this like stuff that's coming out. And then, you know, like they quote Mark Lazary in it too, who's also not my favorite man on earth, but you know, I think none of these are my favorite men on earth. Um, And the board of Aussie is like, everything is fine. We're aware of the incident and we like fully support the way that it's been handled. This is a Mm one-time thing. And like, they're sort of trying to play it in the sense of uh, like we did everything that we needed to do to make sure that the situation is sort of like zipped, you know? Yeah. They said that basically this is the only bad thing that ever happened and we took care of it. Yeah, this yeah. is it. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. At this point, you know, as you're reading the article, like, what's coming up for you guys? Are you like, this is all bullshit, this sucks, these people are horrible? Mm -hmm. Or are you like, I need more information? Like, I'm just curious where you guys are at at this point with it. I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. (laughs) Where I started with this situation, um, I've shifted a lot of my thinking Mm -hmm. because like, I think it's a matter of, is this a situation of where fake it till you make it just got out of control? Mm -hmm. Is this a situation where legitimately this company was trying to, you know, defraud the public and its investors or as what came out in like the most one of the most recent interviews that uh, Carlos did with uh, Charlemagne the God, was this a situation where the New York Times journalist Ben Smith wanted to, as Carlos put it, do a hit piece on a company that Ben Smith was once a part of like trying to acquire mm-hmm. <laughs> and were they trying to devalue it in some way because that acquisition didn't go through? And I really, as I started really listening to all the interviews Carlos was doing, one, I will say, damn, I can understand how this man raised millions and millions of dollars. Because oh, my he, God, yes. He has my attention and he is saying things that I like to hear. And I don't know why I'm believing them, but I am. <laughs> And two, what did he really do wrong? When I really look at the situation and I really, and we like, we'll get into the story. 
Samir really felt like the rogue partner in this situation. I mean, he, there wasn't just one prank call. He had multiples, which we'll get to. It seemed like Samir was a bit rogue. Yeah. Um, And I, I don't know. I am actually, I, I, I've shifted my thinking around this. I'll say this, you know, like, I don't think, I don't think he's an evil person or like, this is like something that he was just planning to do from the beginning. I don't even think Elizabeth Holmes, like the, uh, who founded Theranos is a bad person. I think these people start with good intentions good too ambitious and the main issue is that they want to build what they call their empire and they will do anything to get there and i was i was at the same boat as you i was like yeah i mean it's sketchy as in like inflating like viewers and stuff like that but i was like many media companies do that it doesn't matter i think where what i changed my mind was when i read the article about the people who worked at the company and the conditions they were working under and having to work like, you know, 18 hours and like more and working on Sundays and like having to have meetings at his house and just waiting outside. And I was just like, well, this doesn't seem like it's a a healthy environment. It's funny because that's actually the article that actually got me more on board on Carlos's side because, again, like, because one of the things that stood out was, you know, Ozzy called themselves... They build themselves as like a Gen X dream of what millennial media ought to be. You know, these two guys, Carlos and Samir, they're probably, you know, they're Gen Xers. Yeah. And when I read that article, to be honest, I was like, yep, sounds like every job I've ever had all my life. Like, you know, I can think of multiple jobs where I was treated like shit. I got called a effing bitch. Like, not that I'm saying these things are right, like, but I worked crazy hours and it was a different time but i'm not going to say i'm not a better person because of it and what and what i see more recently is that like that sort of treatment is obviously not acceptable but like i don't know if people want to work hard at all sometimes like i see, like i've had to have a lot of younger employees work for me when i was in corporate world and just even sort of sometimes the basic level of like i need you to do this and like sometimes you're going to have to work overtime was like the amount of pushback i got was crazy again i'm not saying people deserve to be treated like crap but i was like living in new york i was like that that sounds like a tuesday <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's it's very common in the entertainment industry for sure and i think where they really fucked up basically is inflating the number is one thing but like once you start like using the names of like big companies to advertise your network when they're not involved they're going to come after you you know yeah uh, cuz what yeah cuz one example is like the the amazon prime thing where they were like, this is the number one talk show on Amazon Prime. And then it was revealed, and it was like on every billboard, you know, like the uh, advertised that way. And then it turns out it's not, it's not a show by Amazon. It's just, you know, it's just something that you can upload to Amazon and anyone can watch it. Anyone can do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, so, I think yeah. the strangest thing for me too is like, I hear you guys talking about like, kind of like these, you know, wild evils and all this stuff. And and I think to give even more context. So, I mean, Aussie does have like a product, you know, like they have newsletters, a general news site, podcasts, like TVs, documentaries. They also have Aussie Fest. So in general, they have kind of these, this slew of production deals that they are working on. So I think mixing that in also with some of the stuff that they were sort of like, over promoting themselves on was I think also a mixed bag because I know they also won an Emmy last year for a news and discussion and analysis sort of category. Mm -hmm. And so I think as they're raising money, I'm thinking to myself, like these companies do have to inflate marketing numbers. Like I bet you that that's a general practice that happens Mm -hmm. across a ton of media companies. And again, when, you know, more of the things that happen in the New York times articles that they get, kind of called out for what Carlos later called like too aggressive marketing, you know, which is basically like bringing in traffic from, I guess, essentially like clickbait and then calling that traffic and then using those numbers to sell to their stakeholders to, to you know, to get more people to invest in them. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it seems like the slew of things that they do wrong is also mixed in with actual content, you know, actual interviews with like John Legend and Mark Cuban and Jamila Jamil 
all kind of like focused in on what we uh, will now obviously call like the charisma of a, of a Carlos Watson. So I think that also makes things a little bit confusing is that while they're overstating their success on like big platforms and using that, they're also (laughs) actually uploading the show to like normal YouTube and calling it a YouTube original. Like you're not allowed to do that. I mean, that's the thing. You're not allowed to do that. What it feels like and what it probably felt like to them, or at least how they excused it is just this, exaggeration level you know they hired you know brad bessie as like i think the you know a producer um they brought him on he was like a you know huge producer he had worked for like entertainment tonight the talk he comes in and he came in with the understanding that this carlos watson show had been sold to a and e so he was doing the show for a and e and they were booking stellar level guests i mean everything you know dr fauci you know like the list goes on and on about the the number of people that they were getting interviews with. Again, they were getting these interviews because those people were also under the impression that this would be airing on A&E. And then as soon as Brad found out, you know, he left. I mean, I think it was like only a month he was there. Yeah. And, you know, then, you know, Carlos, when he had to explain to his staff why Brad was leaving, he was like, well, we had deals with A&E. A&E was moving too slow, a&E, I think in another article, said that they turned down the show. But he said that they weren't working on his timeline. He asked him, can I take this to YouTube? So he told his staff, so we got this deal with YouTube Original Programming. Which YouTube Original Programming, you have to be commissioned by YouTube. They are, you know, coming to you for content. <laughs> and what was really happening is he was just uploading this show onto YouTube, which anybody with a computer can do, right? Absolutely. They get by on so many technicalities for this story. Like, it's all, it's just like, you. I, I can't just upload something to YouTube and call it an original. YouTube has to pay for it. Like, they have to commission <laughs> it. You can't just, uh, uh, excuse me, my little brother Miguel Jose has got a YouTube original uploading pictures of fish and talking about him no he just has a youtube channel it's pretty egregious like if if i like lies that i would tell my mom you know i'm being <laughs> yeah. like hey i made it to youtube or something and she would believe it and thinks that it's a big deal and so everything was like this exaggeration and again it just felt like this amplified level of fake it till you make it which absolutely i can't fault that because i i knowing what i know about entertainment i also know that is how you attract People. I mean, just think about when you're on Instagram, right? Like the reason all these people had fake followers for so long and they wanted to get a verified check mark is because like you typically don't want to follow someone unless they have a bunch of followers or a verified check mark. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. show that you have experience to get an entry level job, basically. And, and, I, and I'll say this, you know, I think their biggest mistake is that they were very bad at lying. <laughs> Truly. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. You're terrible at lying. You need to stop. Because like you said, other media companies do that as well, but they they know how to like, you know, really package it in a way that you cannot really prove that they're doing anything wrong. But I remember like I saw one of the interviews they had with the founder and one of the things he said that they had an issue with uh, Ozzy Osbourne and Sharon Osbourne because, you know, they wanted to sue them because the name of the network and and all of that and then they settled and then he said and now both of them are two of our like biggest investors <laughs> and they are not they they were even offered shares as part of the settlement and they refused and it's just like that's what <laughs> like, i no thank you that's yeah, what i mean by, like, like yeah. i don't i never even met that man <laughs> that's what i mean by bad lying though because like this is can be easily proved wrong just Sharon Osbourne will come out and say this that's a lie and that's it. Yeah, and and this is so this article kind of like says pretty much all of these things that we're talking about. It goes into the numbers, into the data, and this is I think when the free fall kind of fully begins is after the article. So the article comes out on the 26th mm-hmm. and then uh Immediately on the 27th, uh, the very next day, Watson sends a letter out to Aussie employees kind of responding to the New York Times article. In our favorite fashion, he has posted it on Twitter. (laughs) 
And he has, you know, four little different pictures where he kind of like goes point by point, kind of trying to dispel this New York Times article. Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, what Kiki says, where he kind of brings up the sort of general conflict of interest with Ben Smith. And he, uh, you know, he calls the Ben Smith basically like a bullshit ad hominem attack. Like, first of all, he's just trying to dispel the rumors and basically just says that the that the facts are wrong, that they're using kind of like you know, old school measures like Comscore to maybe a, a, like assess some of the popularity of all of their programming. And he's basically saying like, bro, your New York Times article, which is like very vetted, not that the New York Times hasn't gotten it wrong before, mm-hmm. but he's basically saying like it's bullshit. And he also, this is when he really sort of brings up the, the Goldman Sachs and the Samir issue. And he he basically called it like a benign thing because they didn't actually invest the money. So because Goldman didn't invest, they feel like it, it's like no harm done, no foul. Let's just like leave it at this. You know what I mean? And then sort of quotes also again, Mark Lasry. So there's a few things that start happening, but this really rushes in. You know, the same day A&E cancels the broadcast of a doc special that's hosted by Watson, co-produced by Ozzy. And then the very next day after that, Ozzy's board hires Paul Weiss Rifkin and Wharton and Garrison. That's a lot of different man names right there, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) To basically like investigate, you know, kind of quote activities on the leadership team. So this is a company going through a major fucking crisis and so they're responding to that and it definitely reminds me of like other kind of corporate overlords even goldman sachs of like how the fuck are we going to spin this so that's that's where i'm imagining they are at that point and then again they hire those people the very same day they ask samir rao to take a leave of absence Watson ends up stepping down as the host of the documentary Emmy Awards. So like things are happening, right? Yeah. And it felt like in in like a span of like one week, you know, like your whole world just changes. Oh, yeah. This is within less than three days from Mm -hmm. the article coming out. Samir's stepping down. The board is hiring these people. Um, Aussie Fest, which is in Miami, ends up being canceled the same day. It's like you're having these major like bricks or like blocks off of the building that is Aussie just kind of falling off of it, you know? Yeah, and then eventually they close down. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, yeah. I think that happens October 1st. So, yeah. and this is also the time, I think, uh, Mo, where you're reading all the stuff about the employees. Mm-hmm. Like the employees are coming out with these articles about like these crazy days that they're working and so uh, to me, I find this like moment behind the scenes of this company where the full Watson like breakdown happens and he goes kind of on this, uh, you know, he, he basically says it's we're closing. We're going to close our doors. And that's honestly when I heard about what happened right yeah. at that moment. Who knew that they finally achieved everything they wanted, which is, you know, <laughs> get everyone to know about them. By closing. Well, and yeah, and I think that's why it's like Friday, we're closing, everyone knows about us. And I think that's why he spent the weekend then being like, oh, wow, we just got millions and millions of dollars of advertising. We're going (laughs) to reopen. So he like comes back Monday and he's like, you know what? Just kidding. We are not out of business. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. 
So be sure to join us every Wednesday on the Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrushed are out now, wherever you get your podcasts. He basically, like, all those interviews get booked over the weekend right after he says they're closing. And then when he actually does the interviews, Carlos Watson's like, no, baby. No, no, no. I'm coming from the back from the dead. I am rolling this stone open. I am coming out of this cave in my Jesus sandals to tell you all that I am the chosen one. Which I loved. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe I am crazy, Mm -hmm. but I loved that. Because you never see that happen. Like immediately it's like, I just hide behind my lawyers or my lawyers are presenting like the statements or anything. But he is full on doing a circuit with all sorts of media. And, you know, yes, he has a lot of the same talking points. I mean, he really points out, you know, with the Goldman Sachs thing. I mean, again, this happened in February. This article didn't come out until September. And he's kind of like, yes, that deal fell through and we didn't get that investment. But Goldman Sachs still believed in us. They saw the product that we were putting out because they were putting out product. They were winning Emmys. So they still um, did give us advertising dollars. They, they, They negotiated a huge advertising deal with Goldman's. And so he was really just making the point of like, again, I felt like this hit piece came out of nowhere because this guy, Ben, didn't like that they couldn't buy my company for, you know, $225 million, which is what he said that BuzzFeed, where Ben was working at the time, had offered them. And Carlos said, I turned them down twice. He's like, but... They had gone through my financials for three months. They offered me $225 million. And now here we are. And now they're saying my company's worth nothing. Yeah. He's trying to, he's trying to come back from it. And I think it's in such stark contrast from the apology, you know, Mm -hmm. like that final apology that happens over the weekend when we all think that Ozzy is closing. And I really would love to talk about this particular apology And, you know, he he sort of starts it off with dear Aussie family. So, you know, he obviously does not feel like he needs to apologize to everybody. He has decided who his audience is. And, you know, one of the things I think that really, I think, brings up a lot of interesting things for me is that I feel like he lists off some of the things that he regrets. Um, But I also believe that he does not ultimately address any of the core issues that people are bringing up. So he kind of like highlights the fact that, um, you know, goes through a kind of general like, this is what we have expected from ourselves from Ozzy. You know, we've strived to do this with open eyes and open hearts, but we've also made some mistakes that hurt our team, which Mohanad, this apology seems very in line with the content of Mm -hmm. Ozzy. It's very like broad and sort of like approachable and about very general dreams. Um, And so I guess I would love to talk a little bit more about the apology and what you guys thought about it. I personally felt like he did address the things that were major. I mean, because again, in his, his mind, the complaints from the former employees he feels came on as a pile on because they were already down. We've talked about this in other apologies when people, you know, when you go down, people are immediately ready to kick you while you're down because it's a lot easier down there. But in his mind, he's like, I didn't feel those things were happening. We were a startup. And those are sort of the expectations you have as a startup. So, but he did sort of address just like team and culture in general. Um I don't feel like he addressed necessarily like the fact that he was supposed to be a black media company and that level of of culture. I mean, he did in some interviews say that he had one of the most diverse media companies. Um, But 
he really, again, the data and transparency, I think to me, that's the biggest thing because his, his point is that the way media companies have been operating, they've been operating under these metrics that are old and we have a new way of doing things. And I was, I was showing numbers based on those new way of doing things. Now, I don't really believe that because to say that you have 50 million monthly subscribers, I mean, that is a lot of subscribers for a company I haven't heard of until you were going down yeah. just this month. You know? I mean, you can see just like, look at one, like the videos, you know, like they have like thousands and thousands of, like, of views or sometimes like even a million and then like what, 20 comments? That doesn't align at all. You know, like yeah. it doesn't, doesn't make any sense because <laughs> the all. only way you see those videos, because like, you know, you're just you're looking at like a, you're like shopping online or something and then one of their videos pop up and starts playing and then you know you stop it but you viewed it you did not <laughs> choose to but you're you're a view now and that's how they get most of it and i think one of the reasons he didn't really like apologize apologize because like i said earlier he feels like this is something that you know normal in media companies so it feels like he doesn't have a way of saying well everyone cheats this way so why are we not allowed to do so? Yeah. Honestly, Kiki, I think for me, the apology was pretty bland. Because if you're dealing, if you say mental health issue, according to the Samir thing, like you're not saying, hey, somebody in our company actually tried to commit a crime. You're also not addressing like, you know, the fact that people are saying, hey, you seem to be fudging your numbers. And there's like an impression of Ozzy that there's no substance in the audience and that you're not reporting it correctly. So for I, I feel like he's yeah. dodging everything. You know, he's saying like, yeah, we have good data, but we struggle to lay it out correctly. Or we tried to market, but often we marketed too hard with and he did say bold claims and improper attribution. I think maybe what he was talking about about in that moment was the mm -hmm. YouTube, the Amazon Prime, all of that. But to me, it's like, actually, what you need to apologize for is a lax policy and lax processes on being transparent in general. Like you're just, you're being shady and it's happening at every level and you're trying to deflect like responsibility from what's going on as a thing by saying that you had, that you didn't know that it was happening. And I always struggle when somebody who's at the head of a company says that they had no idea what was going on because it's like typical to like throw it on the individual. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll say this, and this is not me defending them by any means, but I also think you would you know, never, I, I would know never that. defend anyone. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think like, you know, like both of the founders, like you have like uh, one person who's, who's black and, you know, like the Indian person. And then it's like they say, it's, it's a diverse company. And I feel like, you know, with that, like when you get like an opportunity like that, like owning this company and, and, and all of that, like, you know, as a person of color, or like you feel like you only have this one opportunity. And if you don't do it, get there any way you can, it will be taken away from you. Uh, and I feel like that was also like part of the pressure like the in the Charlemagne the God interview, you know, like he asked him if he felt like he represented all black men or like all black people in that way, and in a sense, we know that's unfair, but it's a it's a real thing because that's how people view it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think to me the Charlemagne interview was the most candid because Charlemagne also admitted that he mm -hmm. too is an investor in Ozzy. Yeah. Um, so he's got skin in the game and he was, you know, really asking him the questions that needed to be asked, especially, you know, when other black medias had sort of come after Carlos once this all had been revealed because they were like, you know, we have real numbers, yet these advertisers don't give us the time of day. And, you know, they kind of referred to Carlos's company. What they called it is like diversity without the conflict. These, these mm. black, other black media companies felt that. He was a great figurehead. It allowed these, you know, venture capitalists and whatever feel good about where their money was going because it was going to this black media company. But it didn't involve all the other, quote, nonsense that went along with giving money to a black media company, I guess. It, yeah, it is diversity that, you know, aligns with the white gaze, you know, like makes white people comfortable. Yeah, that is for the the white uh, women yeah. teachers who go to bed at 730 and have 
8.9 cats. Is that the description that you said earlier? I, mean, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it always means. Like when you say we don't need conflict, like, in, like TV wise, it always means like we don't want to upset like all of these white people who watch our network. Yeah. Here's my thing. Okay. So, I mean, I guess when I look at this apology, I, I don't feel like it's empty. I mean, I feel like it's, it's giving us what I, I would expect to give from like mm-hmm. a CEO of a company. To me, I feel like what's missing is the Samir piece because Samir has gone off the radar. We don't know. We haven't heard from Samir. And I don't know if that's because, one, he went rogue. And when these stories started coming out, because remember, so we have the story with the fake call, you know, YouTube Alex Piper. But then when the employees started then saying, well, we had these terrible working conditions, one of the other stories that came out about Samir was there was a woman who was working these crazy hours. She was saying that Carlos was essentially, quote, bullying her into, like, working these crazy hours because he was saying, we can't do it without you. She had a breakdown, and she had to go to, like, a a six-week outpatient mental health because she had a panic attack. She thought she was having a heart attack, ended up in, like, a six-week treatment. Mm -hmm. She had given a doctor's note to the company saying that she needed time off, and she had to sort of like, I guess, sign, you know, something saying that the company could get more information. But her doctor calls her and says, you know, we got this really aggressive call from someone in your HR department demanding to see your medical records. And she was like, we don't even have an HR department, which a red flag. <laughs> also yeah. crazy. She's like, we don't even have an, I don't know who. And she was like, who was calling? And they were like, it was Samir. And then she was like, uh. So this guy was not only, he was fake calling, trying to like, pretend to be an HR person to try to get medical records. And so I really do question whether, you know, because again, Samir and Carlos are close, they're buds. Did Samir go rogue? And now Carlos is having to clean up Samir's, you know, mess. And he doesn't want to apologize for Samir because he really didn't know. Or did he know Samir was doing these crazy things? And that's why he's being evasive. That yeah. part I don't think we'll ever get an answer to because he's either going to have to throw his boy under the bus or Samir's going to have to come clean. And because Samir did some sketchy shit, I don't know if we're going to get either. I yeah. just love the I just love the mental health aspect of it because I just remember that in the Elizabeth Holmes trial, one of the defenses that they're using is, you know, mental health. Like she had a mental health like pressure and stuff because of the person she was she was dating i believe i don't know if you've seen any of the texts between them he was like very dismissive of her like you can clearly tell that she like really loves him and he's just like being very cold but i'm just like okay but still she did crime and fraud (laughs) i am not sure like we all got our hearts broken at some point and we all like deal with mental health stuff. I got a weird haircut and like lost four pounds, but she started a full empire that yeah. fell very quickly. Like, yeah, get bangs or something. Don't just, you know. I know. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And at this point, too, with Samir, like he got hit on Monday. Like the California Northern District Court was like, yo, bro, um, we're about to bring suit to you because... It, it was, uh, I think it's on behalf of Blank Rome and another company as well, mm-hmm. uh, Lifeline Legacy Holdings. And they have, they invested about $2 million in Aussie based on what they're calling false representations from Samir. So obviously there's like a lot of stuff going on with this pivotal other pillar of this company. And while Carlos can kind of at this point give us a little bit of like plausible deniability, like clearly Samir is not something, you know, is not somebody that we can offer that to right now. And you guys were right. I'm sad and disappointed. And I hate that, you know, when people of color are successful, they have to be the beacon for every other one. Yeah. And, um, yeah, when I see a TV show or something with like a a Latin person, I'm like, this is my one show. I have to watch it. And I don't care if it's bad, even though I want it to be good. Of course. Um, yeah. We should strive to uh, get to a point where like, you know, be, people of color can have like bad shows yeah. and that's and, okay. <laughs> and I will say that is what Elizabeth Theranos did. She did. She was like a female CEO who finally broke the glass ceiling by, you know, being indicted. <laughs> um, I'm glad that we... <laughs> I'm glad that we've reached a point where women can be evil, too. (laughs) So now it's time for my favorite segment, Sorry Not Sorry. This week, I feel like I owe an apology to uh, everyone who drives a car in Los Angeles, because I am here this week. 
and I haven't driven a car in like two years since I moved to New York. And literally, I forgot how to do that. I was on the highway yesterday, just, you know, I was death to everyone. Like, literally. Dangering. Oh, well, then what? you fit right in because nobody in California can drive. I can attest to that. So you actually, yeah, you fit right in. Kiki, what, what's, what do you have this week? Um, this week, I, I really want an apology from the dinosaurs. I mean, I know I won't get it. I was okay. maybe if I go to like the La Brea tar pits, I can go talk to uh, the tar. But I, I really want them to apologize to me for just not making enough fuel from their fossils. Because I drove by a gas station in LA. And it said $6 a gallon. And I just, I can I can't. I just can't. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, they did not die the way they're supposed to. I get that. <laughs> I understand. Oha, do you have anyone you want to apologize to this week? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just want to apologize to um, my mom. I'm sorry, mom. I'm sorry. You know, I'll say it in Spanish, but I don't have to. Uh I definitely promised I was going to call her back within 10 minutes and then called her 48 hours later, basically. And so when I did talk to her, she laid it on thick, baby. She was like, I guess I'm the least important one out of all of your friends. And um, I just want to let my mom know that that is not true. She's my number one. It's just, you know, sometimes you need to get away from them. Yeah, that is true. Sounds like my mom. Uh, She would do that. But I always blame it on the time difference. <laughs> it doesn't great. matter what time it is. I'm just like, yeah, I was, I was asleep. <laughs> She's not going to check. I'm Sorry is a Lemonada Media original. The show is produced by Alex McCohen. Supervising producer is Chrissy Pease. Our executive producers are Stephanie Whittles-Wax and Jessica Cordova-Kramer. Our mix is by Kat Yor and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonada Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm sorry underscore podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair and always say I'm sorry. Thanks for listening. I'm Paul F. Tompkins. I'm Lauren Lapkus. And I'm Scott Ackerman. And together we make up the show Freedom! We're comedians from Los Angeles who are also friends. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? (laughs) And on our podcast, we just chat with each other, have fun, play games. It's just a good hang. We just talk about everything that's happened in our lives ever before and up to now and what will happen next. (laughs) We see the future. (laughs) So the new season's out now. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you get them. Wherever. Wherever. Bye. Hi, I'm Feminast Erin Gibson. And I'm homosexual Brian Safi. And we're the co-hosts of the Attitudes Podcast. Where we talk about LGBT plus issues, gender issues, and pop culture. Probably with much less respect than they deserve. Look, it's a wild world, and we want to help you laugh at it. Plus, we discuss everything going on in our lives. Like what do you do when your husband accidentally starts a fire in a dumpster? And the best armpit slapping techniques to get rid of the bags under your eyes. Thanks for the advice, Mom. And of course, how to spin a wig around to achieve a brand new look. Ah, stunning. So if you're a fan of high heel shoe chairs or have a crippling fear of hot air balloons, but also believe in social justice, then this show's for you. Listen to Attitudes anywhere you get your podcasts.